Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled to be welcoming back the wonderful Joshua Jackson to talk all about his latest series, Fatal Attraction. And I wanted to start by talking about a, a little bit about the relationship that your character has with his ego, because there's kind of two different journeys in terms of ego and humility that we see when we look at the really early years of the story. Um, you know, ego is very prevalent and very present. And I was interested in kind of how far you wanted to push that line, because it's also the reason that he's refusing to kind of admit to the truth in a lot of ways. So it really plays into a lot of the plot points for him as a character and then how you wanted to walk that back given the experience that he's gone through because there's a lot of humility that's present in him which later on, which isn't there at the beginning. Yeah, the, that's insightful and I'm glad that came across because our story is told in two different times, so 2008 and 2023, and the intervening years, which are off-camera years for the character, Dan is in prison and removed from his life and humbled by his diminishment of station and opportunity and self-assessment and everything that he thinks about himself in 2008 has been stripped away as a, as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a, as a person in the community, all of these, all of the uh, externalities of his personality have been removed. And he's been through, you know, the prison system, which is which is intentionally built to degrade and rob you of your humanity. So we we were we very consciously wanted to make the man before his downfall that sort of almost archetype of white male privilege, right? I remember having many conversations with Silvertree, the director of the first three episodes. Um, saying like for me there's a i just want to make his life frictionless right and so we we even did things like when he arrives at the office the door is just magically open for him and he doesn't wait for the elevator right the, the elevator just magically arrives when he's there like everything in his life is just smooth um and it is exactly that like he he's in he's at the apex of his powers and very much enjoys being the man right he's he's a good father and he's got a beautiful wife who's got her own career and is also lovely and supportive and they've got a beautiful child and they live in a beautiful home and he has a powerful job and yada 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 but he's also a very fragile man because the second that he doesn't get exactly what he thinks he's owed his his ego just implodes and because in that first moment, he can't admit to himself that, that he's anything less than the golden child, right? When his wife tries to be a decent wife and human and tries to comfort him, he can't accept that comfort from her because it would mean that she had to actually see him and he doesn't really want to be seen. And so he reaches out for someone who can flatter him in the way that he needs to be flattered, but also kind of sees through the bullshit and sees the broken pieces because in Alex, she also has her broken pieces, right? And so from that wounded place that they're both in, they're like the perfect wrong match for each other. And then we jump forward in time and you have this man who's made like the hardest thing for me to conceptualize for the character of Dan is a father who would intentionally cut him off, cut himself off from his child. And he makes this choice, not just for his wife and his friends, but he makes this choice to, to not be a part of his daughter's life while he's in prison. Um, 
And it's most, my understanding finally of it was that it's mostly to protect his ego, right? He doesn't want to have to be witnessed in this diminished state. And he builds this scaffolding, ego scaffolding around the idea of like, if I can just prove that I'm, that, that I'm not the person who did this, then I get to go back to being that guy, which is of course false. You can't go back in time. And the damage that he has done to the people around him, you can't actually unring that bell. There's nothing you can do to go back and give that time back to a child or that time back to your wife. Um, and so that to me is actually the journey of Dan. Like he's forced into a surface level of humility, but he eventually has to come to that final level of humility, which is, oh my God, I'm responsible for my actions, right? Which he very much does not want to be for the rest of the story. It's, it's interesting. And it also makes me think about the episode in which he's having a conversation with his daughter at the bar and he's kind of asking for her assertion and her analysis of him. And she talks about that idea of, you know, he was always trying to build himself into something because he never had that recognition and validation from his dad. And then the moment that he didn't get the judgeship, that he stopped servicing that part of himself. And so that really changed everything. And, and the moment where we have that scene in the bathroom right after he's found out that he doesn't get it is such a, a pivotal turning point and so once the veneer starts coming off what was kind of the starting point for you in terms of well, what does this look like when he's no no longer able to continue projecting this version of perfection that he's been trying to reach for even though he hasn't fully actually ever attained it for himself right and 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 so what is it if for then it's a, a sequence of very bad decisions right and which which i think is understandably human i mean we've all Every, I will say I have absolutely made some bad decisions in my life and I have absolutely doubled down on them, right? Done something that was cruel or selfish or silly or unthinking or whatever it was and then not wanted to be accountable to that thing. So then, you know, told another lie or like tried to fudge or just tried to get away with it. And, you know, because we're on a drama, the, the consequences of those for Dan are pretty outsized. But that to me... You know, essentially what I what was interesting to me about Dan and the retelling of, of fatal attraction through the lens of now is that, you know, there's a there's a lot more space to examine Alex and be more empathetic, I guess, to to like who she is, even though ultimately she is absolutely the villain of the story. But, you know, we get into the like, what are the things that create that personality type? And why is he the exact worst thing that could happen to her? But then on his side, like, why of all the possible women in the world, right? Why is it this woman that he's so attracted to and the danger of this woman? And also, why is he incapable? Like, his ego is so fragile, right? He has so many opportunities to stop. Po like, before the affair, obviously, post the affair, she even gives him an offering. Right. She gives him the opportunity to let it go. But he, even in that with his mistress, right, he still can't even allow her to see him as not the good guy. And so he's actually the one that, like, keeps that emotional connection going and kicks it off to the next level. So I, to me, it was interesting. You know, we seem we're broadly culturally in a conversation about white male fragility right now. And to me, that's a big part of what I found interesting about exploring for Dan is like is like what what is it that drives like what 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 pieces are missing for us men right now right where we are having to rethink 
where we stand inside of the culture or being confronted with the fact that we're not the center of the universe, but we're not dealing very well with, with that new reality. And mostly we're acting like children, right? I think Dan is sort of, he's, <laughs> Lizzie said it yesterday in an interview, she's like, he has a tantrum. You know, like, he's having a tantrum. And she's right, like he's having a big boy tantrum. And, and I just think it's, it's a really, you know, that to me was a fascinating dichotomy with her who is like presented as monstrous. But to me, when I look at his actions, I see him also as, as occasionally a monster, right? A, a recognizable human being who, who makes mistakes, but his actions are monstrous and they're all in service of his ego because he's too fragile to be able to admit that he's not perfect. Yeah. And I, and I like what you were saying before about, you know, he's making these very conscious choices and it doesn't feel like, oh, you know, he's some some poor guy that was kind of tricked into this by the woman. And even just the moment where he decides to go into her apartment, she kind of peers out into the hallway and he makes the choice to turn around and come back in. And yeah. so did were there conversations at all about making sure that it always felt like a conscious choice and a conscious decision? Because even just the way that he starts to stand a little bit closer is a conscious choice. And so there's all sure. these small footprints that kind of lead to the bigger space and yes absolutely right and and the the permission structure that you build that you that you give yourself to do a, a thing that you know is wrong right very few people like start all the way there you know like hey hey lady who's not my wife let's go have sex in the hallway you know what i mean like you you do little things right to like oh, I did this, but it wasn't that big of a deal. It's fine, right? And then, so now you've gone that far and then you go a little bit farther and you go a little bit farther. But yes, we very consciously wanted to make sure that that Dan is acting out of agency because in the film, you know, it's very much a product of its time, right? And Dan is both the hero and the victim in that movie. And um, there really are no, I mean, he's not, he doesn't apologize. He doesn't seem to feel all that guilty they did sort of like it happens he tells his wife she's upset for a second but then she's on board and they just have to deal with this crazy lady right um and the film is excellent and still is a truly i don't know if you have went back and watched it but it's still a truly excellent film but culturally is not it's not possible for today um and wanted to make him complicit in the the initiation and then also you know make his actions and his culpability explicit after the affair has happened. Because that, you know, we also took, because we have more time, they don't just have sex, right? Which is a giant violation of a marriage, obviously, but they, he creates an emotional intimacy with this woman, right? He takes the family dog and they go and have a, they go and have a, like a day out together, right? Where, which is to me, that is the, that's the deeper violation, right? Like we were doing our press junkie yesterday and very often the question came up, like, do you think that infidelity can be forgiven? And I do, actually. I think all kinds of things happen in a life, in a marriage or in a, in a relationship. And two people can choose to forgive each other for a lot of things, right? However, that requires the person who has done the wrong thing to be culpable and accountable for their actions, right? And Dan can't get there because he can't admit that he's not the great guy the good father, the good dad, or the good husband, the, the like paragon of, of moral rectitude. Um, and we wanted to make sure that it was clear that even though when we jump into her perspective, you see like she is way more, she's, 
she's active in, in her pursuit of him, he also is acting through his own agency and totally complicit in what happens and everything that comes after. And, and you're touching upon there as well, you know, the fact that he's he's absolutely not truthful a lot of the time, you know, he tells his wife about the affair, but still omits details. And then when it comes to the court trial, he basically starts off by saying, you know, she became obsessed with me and I never had a relationship with her. I'd never been to her house, even though there's physical evidence that he was there. And so did you want there to be kind of slight tells to him when he wasn't telling the truth or or kind of like little things that he would do that would kind of reflect that? Well, even in the way, yes, absolutely. And even though it's not specifically pertaining to the affair and its aftermath, the way that he plea bargains cases and talks about the the doling out of justice is is very is is not moral per se, right? It is it's a justice as vengeance and justice as a tool and a weapon of the state, but it's not like justice as balance, right? He is the arbiter of what's right and what's wrong and who gets punished and who doesn't get punished. And so you see he already, like speaking of permission structures, he has already created, and having nothing to do with Alex Forrest, a framework in his mind that there are shortcuts to be taken here because the the ends justify the means. And so then when it pertains to him, he makes some like really stupid errors along the way, right? Like lying to the police and saying you weren't in a space when there's physical evidence that you were there. But again, his framework is, I don't want to admit to this thing. And because I am a good person, I don't have to wear any of that. So I, so whatever, whatever lie I need to tell to just to, to reinforce the fact that I'm the good guy, I can, I'm okay to do that. Right. And he just creates this web of, of deceit. That is the, you know, that's the method of his downfall. And with the development of the affair as well, it, it feels like for both of them, it starts off as the idea of the other person. You know, they don't really know each other that well when it first begins, and then they do get to know each other better. So it becomes something different. And so for you, what what was the shift in the difference in kind of the beginning when it's just like these very short looks that they're giving one another and it's not even about an exchange of dialogue versus once it becomes much more of a solidified emotional intimacy between them? Yeah, I mean, I think there's the, you know, there's the, there's the 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 tension, the the spark of like the possibility of something new, right? And then also because he's married, that's dangerous, right? So there's the the sort of uh, the excitement of of playing with fire, I think, for Dan. Um, so so you know, it starts from that place of like you, you that the glance that's held for just one second too long from across the room, or being aware that you're in pre- in the presence of somebody that there's a little like there's a dynamic between the two of you, um, but once it gets to the place, you know he doesn't really understand what's going on. But once it gets to the place where they've broken that first barrier, right when they're at the bar together, and unlike everybody else in his life, she owes him nothing and he owes her nothing, and they don't have she doesn't need to have the fiction of him. And he doesn't need, he tries, right? That's his first go-to is to like present them. And she just kind of pierces right through it immediately. And I think that's intoxicating for him because his wife is wonderful to him, right? His marriage is functioning. It's, there's joy in it. There's love in it. There's sex in it. It's, there's none of the, there's, there's none of the like, oh, well, 
he was unhappy here. So he went, what's missing is him. He can't admit to his wife that he's weak or sad or scared or because he's he, he feels like he needs to project an image to her as well. And so into his life walks this other person who is witty and charming and beautiful and interested, all those things that are intoxicating. But more importantly than anything is able to go like, hey, you can miss me. Yeah, you can spare me the bullshit. Who are you? What's going on with you right now? Like, I can see that you're upset. I don't need the, the song and dance. Like, talk to me. And I think that's that's when he's that's that's when he's in deep trouble. <laughs> And then obviously things change drastically, you know, and his breaking point is he has the suspicion about her causing the death of his mother-in-law, but then he knows, he knows for sure that she's the one that that picked up his daughter from the bus and took her. Um, and then that following that, I wanted to ask about the scene in which he goes to her apartment and he physically confronts her because it, it's, it's quite a violent eruption for him. Um, and I was just interested in the dynamic of filming a scene like that. And if you felt like that was behavior that he had exhibited before, if you felt like that was the first time that he'd been pushed to that sort of level for that to come to the surface. In my mind, that's the first time. So I think that Dan has had, again, back to that idea of friction. I think that he's had a frictionless life, right? Which is not to say that he hasn't had bad things or bad events or unpleasant times in his life. I don't think anything in his life has ever pushed him because where where he's being pushed is in his self-image, right? And even in... He sees everything as it relates to him, right? Everything in the 2008 storyline, the kidnapping of the daughter, the death of his mother-in-law, the 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 like the noise that she creates in his life he's constantly like running it back through the lens of like this looks bad on me this is making me uncomfortable not i've caused all this havoc in my life and the lives around me it's still very much like the the in the protection of his ego and i think that person right when they're really 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 pushed and have used all of the the grown up tools right the use your words tools boils down to something really ugly because he can't, again, if he could jump off the train, right, and just say, I did a terrible thing and it's going to cause real havoc in my life and in my career and in my marriage and in every possible way, but I'm going to stop now and just raise my hand and be culpable for my actions. He could stop all of this, right? But instead what he does is he goes to the lowest possible form of like violence and really what that scene to me is about is intimidation, right? He's showing, look, man, I'm big. And even in the, in the shooting of it, right? I'm six foot two inches tall and 185-ish pounds, right? And Lizzie is not. And so the physical dynamic between the two of us and blocking her from getting out the door and just showing like, I, I, I have control here, right? That's what he wants her to know more than anything. He feels out of control. He feels like he is not, able to like get everything that he wants and he wants her to know that he has control and very specifically control over her body which is extremely dark but i think is a, a place that men go to way too often and and especially because you know we we see that violence from him but we see that there is a limit to how far he takes it um I was, I was interested in kind of if you wanted to kind of play around with the audience expectation in the earlier episodes of, you know, how much do you want the audience to think that he did it or not? 
or were you really just thinking about, okay, this is his truth in a particular scene? I was just interested in that because obviously the first time that we meet him is him talking to the parole board and saying that he did it. And then it becomes very evident that he didn't. Right. Well, I think what I, I was less concerned about putting like the, the, the red herring of it all. Right. And more concerned that, that you find that, you know, Dan is not reliable as a narrator and you find him uh, compelling and, and repellent at different times in the story. And so like the, the thing to me was not so much, the mystery reveals itself through the story, right? And so that was always going to happen. And as much as the show is driven by the plot, the, pie- the pieces for me as the actor that are interesting are like, well, what does that mean in how these people behave? And what does it say about them and about us as humans? And so I was more, you know, I think the reason he doesn't go further than he does, and he goes very far in that scene with Alex, is because she actually takes the power back. And it, and it in the moment, it breaks the spell for him, right? She, like, by acquiescing to his power and in some ways enjoying because she got what she wanted, which is his attention, he realizes that even in this explosive moment, he still can't be back in control. And it, can, and it, and it, it drains the energy out of him to see that even in this like, most outsized reaction, he still can't take the power back. Um, and I also wanted, you know, that I wanted to, I, I liked that we introduced the, that this man is physically a threat, right? That, 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 that ego pushed hard enough would, would and could and did resort to um, like unforgivable, unspeakable acts. And in looking at the two different timelines of your performance from 2008 to, to 2023, there's also such a different physicality to the character. There's such a difference in the way that he speaks. He's very much someone who's always in motion early on and is always talking very fast and kind of talking through a lot of the silences and a lot of the spaces. And then he's much more introspective and still and quiet in a lot of the space and kind of sits in the silence a lot more because he spent so much time in that sort of dynamic from the time that he spent in prison. And so I I wanted to ask a little bit about how you kind of found those two very different speeds and paces and and physical elements of the character. Um, Well, partially, well, there's a long conversation with Alex Cunningham and the Paramount people of like, just trust me, I have an idea. (laughs) Because when they started to see that performance, they definitely were a little freaked out by by the 2023 side and i guess it's nice like this is the benefit of being in my 40s now is it's like you just gotta just roll with me here i promise there's a plan um but with silver silver shot the first three episodes so we basically had like a season before the rest of the season between her lizzie and myself and with silver she got it immediately and was like oh my god i love this idea that this guy who has been essentially a performer, right? He's been at the center of the circus tent for his whole life. We meet him. He's the apex predator in his environment. He enjoys that a lot, right? He knows how to be the man of the people with a certain group and the hard ass with a certain group and the loving, doting father, husband with a certain group. Like he, he wears a lot of masks and he wears them well. 
and then and then he's stripped of all of those things and yeah has a lot of time like to to sit with himself but also society has no space for him anymore even if he did walk into a room big loud like that guy like nobody gives a shit he's not nobody cares about dan gallagher in 2023 he's just a middle-aged ex-con with no job and no prospects and no wife and a shitty relationship with his kid right and so i wanted to i mean we even toyed with like putting dan 2023 always on the side of a frame like he literally is not at the center of the story anymore and yeah like sitting in silences being in the shadows physically like you know stooping my shoulders so i i just take up less space and allowing myself to be talked over and not interjecting and you know letting people when people speak to dan with like bass in their voice in 2008 he cuts that off immediately like i'm not here for that you don't get to talk to me like that this is this is not how we're going to interact and in 23 like people just walk all over him and he takes it with with no very rarely do you see a flash of the old dan come out when like he's actually willing to express his anger he just kind of he takes it this is where he's it's what he thinks he deserves and who he is in 2023 and because of what you were saying earlier as well about kind of just the amount of time that he's had to to sit in between um i also wanted to ask about just how you said about recalibrating all his relationships because it's it's so telling when he's sitting with his daughter and he's basically saying I don't know you any, you know, I know you less than someone that barely knows you because again, he made that conscious choice to separate himself from his family with what you were talking about earlier. Yeah. And the, and you know, the, the house of cards that he's built for himself is if I can get out of prison and clear my name, then I get to go back to the beginning of this process. Right. I get then, then all of these sins are forgiven because if I can just pull the thread from the beginning, then everything else didn't happen, right? And this is the fiction that he's living in and it's how he's survived being in prison is like just fixating on this concept. But we know that you can't go back, right? That that the damage is done. That child didn't have her father in her life. Um, his wife has moved on and had to build an entirely new life without him. His work has moved on. His friends have moved on. His colleagues have moved on. Like life has has moved on just fine, mostly without him. And so, the as it becomes apparent to him that this thing that he has pinned all of his hopes and dreams on isn't actually going to get him, whether he gets the result that he wants or not, it doesn't actually get him back to the place. And that I. You know the, the the plot is the driver of the show and so if if nobody gives a damn about what i'm talking about right now the show i think still works without it right like there's propulsion to it there's a whodunit to it but for me the culmination of the first season for dan is those two conversations one with his wife and particularly that conversation with his daughter where um for the first time he's not seeing her as an extension of himself she's a full-grown woman with agency that is not a kid that he, he he needs to be or gets to be daddy to anymore right and that was a that scene was like just gutting that, that was a so impressed with Alyssa like she really sucker punched me with how intense that scene was but um you know that that is to me the culmination of the story is like 
what we're talking about here is consequences, right? And you have done everything in your earthly power to avoid admitting your culpability and therefore that you are responsible for these consequences, even if they're outside. Like that's the down, this is the problem of lying, right? It usually starts like this, but if you keep on adding to it, suddenly it's out of your control and it's massive and now it's causing chaos and you can't control it. Um, and that's what happens to Dan, right? Do I think he needed to spend 15 years in jail? Probably not. That's a little bit more, that's an excessive punishment for uh, having an affair, but but he couldn't ever, like, he couldn't stop the train at any point. So now he has to deal with the consequences of his actions, right? Like that, that is the, that's the full circle for him is like, oh God, I did this, right? I didn't kill your mom. I didn't kill, but I did this. I'm responsible for this. And I, and I have to like start from there. And that's the first day of the rest of his life. Yeah. I also, in, in watching this, found myself thinking of, of the work that you did in Dr. Death a little bit, because they're such different projects and such drastically different characters, but some of the elements of what it's asking of you and your performance have similar trajectories in terms of having to look at such an extensive timeline for a character, building them into, you know, taking a character that's full of bravado, and then what does it look like to go through the humility of incarceration and a court trial? Um, and so I was interested in if if consciously or subconsciously there were elements of what you went through on Dr. Death that kind of prepared you in really unique ways for a project in a series like this. Well, there, yeah, I mean, the there's pieces from Dr. Death, there's pieces from The Affair, Oddly, there's pieces from Fringe, right? Because in Fringe, we were dealing with um, a multiverse situation. So you're dealing with multiple timelines. The affair, the perspective shifts, right? And and tracking perspective across time and, and you know, playing with mannerisms and the fun stuff that most people don't notice, but like how you walk or how you talk and the little subtle shifts that you can make to sort of convey differences in character. But... But the broader, the, the deeper point that I think you're making in the similarities between Christopher Dunch and Dan Gallagher is like what happens when an overinflated ego, like a, an, an ego superstructure on a very fragile personality is poked and what comes out of that. And I mean, Christopher Dunch is, a, is an actual monster and probably has like organic brain chemistry issues and is certainly... I'm not professional, but I, if I were, like, I think some diagnosable issues with that man. Um, but I think, you know, sub-diagnostic level, Dan Gallagher is absolutely a narcissist, right? And, and, and is willing to behave. I don't think he's a monster, but he's willing to behave in monstrous ways in support of his ego and self-image. And yeah, those, that thematically, those two men share that absolutely. And it is, I, I don't know that I've done this. Part, this is partially conscious in that I'm in a very nice portion of my career now, right? The, the roles are more interesting. The material that we're doing in TV or whatever we call TV now is really good and challenging and interesting. And I have the opportunity to work on good and challenging and interesting things with good people. Um, but I get to work on projects that allow me to examine questions that I'm asking in my own life, right? And so... I think from the end of Fringe through to right now, I can see a through line through all of those projects that, that makes them kind of all make sense as one piece together. <laughs>
I really love that. Well, it's it's so wonderful watching your performance in this series. It's it's really, really great. So thank you so much for talking about it. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Lovely to speak with you again.